Hi, this is Chris Ryan, and welcome to the Humanity First podcast, uh, talking about all things Bamsey on the podcast this week. Of course, also watching what's taking place across the world and very carefully thinking about how that may affect folks here in our community and throughout the Commonwealth as Peter Evers joins us, CEO of Bamsey. Peter, how are you? Good, thanks, Chris. How are you doing? Good. So just in time for COVID to uh, shift a little bit, so we have another thing for folks to to worry about. And I guess we'll start with COVID. And what's the latest here on on that? Have there been any changes in protocols? Yeah, there's been a few changes, Chris, um, but they're they're subtle. It's um, you know we talked about this whole uh, rush to get rid of uh, all uh, COVID protocols in different states, and in fact, um, Massachusetts, as we know, has uh, rolled back their um, vaccination requirement, proof of vaccination for entering buildings, and uh, that was Boston actually, in Somerville and places like that. Well, we're taking note of a change, uh, and that is that um, we are no longer going to require people to wear masks in administrative buildings when we're not with persons served. Uh, We still um, are following guidelines that come from Department of Public Health uh, in our facilities that we will wear masks around persons served. And of course, when we have meetings with persons served here, like we did with the persons served advisory board last week, we will be wearing masks. And again, this is about protecting vulnerable and medically fragile uh, folks that that we work with. What do you make of you know the messaging around this? Where you know, we've talked about the impact this will have on our kids and our society, you know, where we were all in and you you had to wear masks even indoors, and obviously there is not as much contagion around now as there was uh, several weeks ago. But you know, you mentioned kind of the incrementalism that you're exhibiting. What do you think is the the overall message when you're you're when you're trying to explain to people, okay, why was it okay to do this then and not now? And it, do you think that it is confusing for folks? Is the vaccine a big part of it? Like, or is it just it just overall confounding um, to even you? Oh, yeah. It's completely confounding. I think we've just got to think about it in a, in a more nuanced way. So I, I guess I would begin by going back to the polio vaccine, right, which I don't know if we've ever done on this show, but it's actually a really good starting place that – we had in this country, in the world, a disease that afflicted people in a very obvious way and in a, very, in a relatively uniform way. So that if you had polio, there were obvious signs that you know you were really going to struggle physically with that. Um, and the um, the polio vaccine became incredibly successful. So. Um, affects a lot of people in a uniform way and a, and a vaccine that, that solves that problem. That's really your best. In some ways, it means that the public knows what the danger is, is really clear about what the danger is. They've seen what happened to people in a uniform way. And then the vaccine works in probably the best way that we could hope it would. Now, fast forward to COVID in a different political time, because there's no doubt about this that and I'm not going to take sides on this, but it has been politicized, the wearing of masks, the not wearing of masks. You also have a um, a pandemic that doesn't affect people in a uniform way. Some people get sick, other people don't. There's, we're now finding that maybe there's a trace in genealogy that goes back to why you suffer from COVID, um, long COVID, or you don't. We also have a vaccine that's developed within you know months 
rather than years of the uh, of the onset of the pandemic that isn't appearing to work in the same way that SOX uh, polio vaccine worked. So people are saying, well, why do I need to have a booster if you told me that this was... These are all things that make it confusing, right? And then you, you, it's, it's politicized. Mm-hmm. Um, there are mayors and governors of states who want you to get vaccinated, uh, they want, who want kids in school not to be um, masked. It's, it's a whole mess of confusion. And our job here is to listen to the evidence and be flexible because we don't know what the next version of COVID is going to be if there is one. I, I hope to goodness that it isn't. But we have to be prepared to go back into protective mode or more of a protective mode um, if we have another um, strain of this COVID, which is destructive to, to our people. Yeah, I don't want to talk too much about this, but I feel like the demand for immediate answers that are 100 percent factual is one of the the main you know, problems here, and I understand, and everybody wants to have, you know, information and factual information as as quickly as humanly possible. But you know, the construct of time is such that you know immediacy takes on different meanings, and the the immediate uh, response to COVID is a risk and reward uh, analysis, and also you know trying to figure out exactly what's going to work and what's not going to work. And I feel like that is, you know, we have demanded to have accurate information immediately. And that is, and it, when, once it is proven that, oh, well, maybe we need to take a step back, we need to do risk mitigation versus, um, you know, being completely uh, eradicated. I mean, I think that it's a lot of, a lot of the problem too is that people speak with such conviction a lot of the time that's because they know the people are demanding accuracy. So they'll go out and say something that they think is 60% accurate is 100% accurate. And then they get called out on that over a period of time. Yeah, I think it's, it is it is that confusion. It is that desire to put information in front of people. Is it reasonable for people to expect uh, incredibly accurate um, information as quickly as possible? Maybe. I mean, you know, we've moved a long way in terms of medical science since the polio vaccine. Um, technology has allowed us to have information at our fingertips. Um, and then there's so many different types of news outlets that we begin, uh, depending on what our persuasion is, to bury ourselves in the particular thought process of the right or the left. Uh, and then you get these massive differences of opinion. Um, we, again, I think the best that we can do is just say, here are the facts and what do we have in common? And hopefully we have in common the fact that we don't want Americans to die in huge numbers again when we've already lost close to a million people. And what can we do? Um, and, and have that debate about difference of opinion. But surely we can all agree that we have to minimize the number of people who are dying. Let's transition into some of the issues that the world is facing right now and how that's affecting folks right here. And what do you see is kind of being the main um, way that the people here at, at Bamsey throughout the Commonwealth are reacting to what's taking place in, in Ukraine? And what is the effect that it is having on um, you know, their uh, financial well-being? Well, Chris, I think, you know, this is one of those situations where there are assumptions that we have as a people of the world every day. And that is that, um, you know, there will not be these kind of hostilities. Um, and when it is a autocratic system against a democratically elected um, 
government in a country which is very close to Europe, um, people begin to think, well, how how does this stop, and 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 and, and what and how does this affect me? You know, um, we messaged out at the beginning of this particular war that uh, refugee status is something that is shared by millions and millions of people across the world uh, of all different cultures, of all different colors. Um, and there has been a huge reaction to the Ukrainian um, push out of the country. About 2 million people are, are refugees now, and we need to deal with that with the compassion that we, that we must have for these people. Uh, sometimes I wonder if we've had the same compassion for people coming from different parts of the world. And there are people that on our staff who might be thinking the same thing, who are uh, survivors of uh, dictators and autocratic governments, who stayed in refugee camps for 15 years, sometimes 20 years before, repatri- re- before they were uh, settled in our country or other parts of the world. It is one of those moments that we spare a thought for everybody uh, who has been traumatized and bullied uh, by uh, another country in the world. Um, but it's having effects on us at home as well, obviously. You know, we have, we've got galloping inflation at the moment, and clearly um, that was before um, Putin went into the, the Ukraine. This will be worse for us. Uh, we see gas prices that you and I pr- were predicting, you know, could get up to five fifty, six dollars a gallon. Who knows where this, where the ceiling is for that? That is extraordinarily worrying for people who are who um, work for us, who folks who are delivering, um, I, I, you know, people who are delivering fast food, for instance. And you know, how on earth are people going to be able to make a living in that? kind of world when they're so reliant on these things and so it brings home how we're a small world you know they there there is a a military incursion in one part of the world and everybody feels it within two or three days and of course the people who are on the lower end of the pay scale those people who are in poverty are going to feel it the most and we have to spare a thought for that and we actually have to push back to us uh, to the state uh, when we're uh, advocating for rates for the work that we do, that they have to be higher so that we can support the people who work for us. Yeah, there's no question this is going to be a very you know challenging time period. And, uh, you know, you just wonder what is uh, going to be next for um, for us uh, here in this country. And certainly you make a, a number of good points about the decisions people are having to, to make, um, the type of, uh, of work that they're trying to do. What do you see? Um, you mentioned some of the, uh, the ramifications here, in, in that um, you, know, you were increasing wages, and now it seems like a lot of that may go to uh, to gas prices. Um, what is your sense about uh, from a from a financial standpoint what this may mean? I worry about it. I worry about it for um, for our workforce. I worry about it for this agency. You know, they always, it's always said that, you know, McDonald's can always stick another, you know, um, quarter on or, or, or dime on, on the price of a, a cheeseburger. We can't always do that. Um, we have to be able to go to our funders who are the government and say, you know, we can't keep on ab- absorbing um, these inflationary costs. And remember, it's not just gas and, and diesel. Gas and diesel convey everything uh, to our doorsteps, and so everything is going to um, have a, it will have an effect on everything in terms of price. Um, you know, we need some help. We need some help as a 
as a nation right now in terms of um, making sure that the vulnerable populations that we serve uh, can be served in a way that is safe and protects them. And uh, again, we've talked about this on this show before, but that is the true measure of a country uh, and, and its civilization. Um, and now we're being really tested. And, um, and you know, uh, there are many ways that we can be helped financially. And we know that. Look, the last two years, um, we've been able to rally and support people. And, and we need more support uh, as a nation uh, in terms of uh, financial support uh, of the likes that we've been getting for the last two years. No, it's it's certainly true. And, uh, you know, I think um, you know, first and foremost about the people in Ukraine and um, you know what they're going through, but you brought up a really good point before as well that I've heard, and has carries a lot of validity in that you listen to a lot of the r- reporters who are almost all white uh, talking about how they identify with the people in Ukraine and how this is different than Afghanistan or this is different than other places in the past, and you know it is clear that what they're you know talking about is race. Yeah. And uh, I, I've I've thought a lot about you know the folks that were have been afflicted um, with these types of circumstances in their countries, but we haven't you know really even as an American media discussed it all that much. Um, and you know whether it's we've talked about Haiti uh, here on, mm-hmm. on this program in the past um, and the challenges that still you know exist uh, there, um, but it feels like there's a lot of this that goes on in the world, and we're very, as a media and a white population, focused when it happens to uh, us, uh, a quote-unquote. Well, the Polish uh, Minister of the Interior last week, I think, said something rather revealing. He said, uh, these people are like us. Um, these people are educated. These people can come into my home. He actually offered um, a, a place in his home to these folks, which interestingly they uh, turned down. Which you know, when you think about it, it's kind of funny, isn't it? <laughs> that this refugee said, "Thank you for the offer, but we, We're you know, we, we don't like your drapes yeah. uh, or something like that." But there is a serious um, uh, message there. That is that is racism in action. You know, that is the inability to see. Uh, that people of different cultures and different races uh, have the same qualities as as white folks. And, you know, when you think about Syrian refugees, when you think about um, folks that came from uh, southern Sudan, for instance, um, or the Congo, um, those folks were doctors. Those folks were train drivers. Those folks were accountants. Why, why, why aren't we saying the same thing about those people because they have the same array uh, of skill sets that everybody else does? Um, and it must be difficult to hear that if you are a Syrian refugee, if you are a Muslim coming from a, a country of, 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 of difficulty. And in the end, um, it's the same thing. And we should be able to be as compassionate as we are to anybody who is dislodged from their country of their birth, the country that they love, uh, who is lost and needs support. And uh, that doesn't take away from the compassion that we have for the Ukrainian people, far from it. It's just a reminder that we really need equity and we need inclusion in all of these thoughts. I think that's a great point. I mean, and what is it that 
draws you know the attention of a worldwide audience is it the size of a nation or is it an atrocity taking place anywhere should be focused upon with the same scrutiny and, and intensity and you know there are obviously things about this attack that um you know have a direct effect on on Americans perhaps in ways that we have not seen in the past because of Russia's nuclear power but you brought up Syria and and Russia was uh very uh, engaged in Syria and engaged in, 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 uh, engaged in outcomes there. And there was not the same interest and intensity um, as there has been in regard to Ukraine. So, yeah, I, I think that a lot of times we are kind of telling on ourselves when we say, well, this is different because of this. And then we highlight aspects of our culture. Um, where if we are truly going to have a shared humanity, there should not be any, you know, rooting interest in things or more compelling aspect of things just because of the fact that there is more similarities seemingly between uh, cultures and skin color. Um, and I think that has been has been noteworthy in this. I do. I, I, I think so too. I think the other thing is that, you know, I often mention my my mum, but I was talking to my mum this weekend about this situation. My my mother is eighty seven years old, and she is a child of the Blitz um, in in Britain during the World War. Um, and they built an air raid shelter at the bottom of the garden. And I was asking her about it because I I remember the obviously I don't remember the Second World War, but I remember my grandfather who was an engineer. He built that, and every night for Nine months, the Germans bombed the dockyards, which is where we're from, and they would go into the bunker and stay in there all night. They cut a hole in the fence for the neighbors so that they could come through because they didn't have uh, an air raid shelter. My grandfather wouldn't come out because he'd been in the First World War, and he said, look, if a bomb's going to drop on me, it is. He was clearly suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder from the First World War, but when my mother was telling that story, it came back to her like it was yesterday. She was painting a picture of horror. And it is something that our generations have not really uh, um, experienced in different parts of the world. So again, it sort of puts us apart. We don't really understand what it means to be under siege. We don't know what it's like to be displaced as a, as a country. And then we're not, we don't know what it's like to arrive in a new place and be judged uh, and, be, and, and to be seen as a pariah on society. I think that's another big difference. Um, certainly speaking to people that have been through that gives you much more of a picture of the horror of what it's actually like. Yeah, and for me and my generation, we talk a lot about 9-11 and the traumatic impact that it had on us. Well, A, I'm from that area, but I wasn't in New York City that day. And you know, B, it happened over a span of several hours. And I don't want to diminish what happened on, no, on 9-11, but I want to highlight what, is, what took place is taking place in Ukraine and, and in these other places. Imagine going through that like every day for two, three weeks um, that's basically what war is. And, you know, you, when you think about it in those terms of this is something that was so horrible and horrific and changed the course of world history, the attacks of September the 11th, but imagine that happening, you know, every day for hours and wondering where that missile is going to, to hit. And that is what 
the people in, in Ukraine are going through right now and in many uh, war-torn aspects of our of our world and you know in many other different types of terrorism that takes place and that's what you know that's what this is I mean war is terrorism um, what Vladimir Putin is doing is terrorism and bombing civilian targets and you know we try to make all these rules up and this you can't do this can't do that you know that's unless you're going to hold people accountable um for that and then that's heavily debated as to how you do that you're going to have these um these types of incidents and i think that's what's been the most hard for people is that we thought we'd moved on and particularly mm-hmm. you think of your your mother i'm sure she never thought that she would see a european she said that yeah she so said after that what she experienced so yeah i think that and again getting back to that you know we were talking earlier about culture and i do think that um at times though you it is understandable why there is a focus like say in europe where it's bringing up very personal things for for people because of the proximity mm-hmm. of it but i was referring more to you know the united states and reporting and things that we have seen from reporters about how you know this is this feels different than afghanistan or people making that direct there's a reporter that made that direct comparison and uh, you have to be careful about the, those things. Um, you have to be careful about what you you say, um, but also understand that yeah, there are certain people that are going to feel certain ways about things, and that that's okay. Yeah, I mean, it's you know what was interesting to me reading about it was there's a Polish friend of mine whose um, uh, family is from Lviv, which is one of the cities closer to Poland, which actually used to be Polish. But when Ukraine, when it was divided up in the Soviet Union, it was given to the Ukraine. So this whole thing about whose land it is and this whole sovereignty issue that Putin has is meaningless in so many ways. But what struck me with my friend who is Polish was she could tell that story through her parents because they underwent being Polish, being Soviet, and then being Ukrainian, and their lives went on. Um, but yes, you're right. It is it is a reflection of our personal experiences and our personal knowledge of people and uh, and cultures. But we just need to be a little bit more open minded about what human suffering is. Peter, thank you so much. Thanks, Chris. It's the Humanity First podcast. I am Chris Ryan.